0: Hey everyone. Today's guest is the brilliant actor and comedian Keenan Thompson. Keenan has been a cast member on Saturday Night Live longer than anyone and helped me survive hosting the show twice. I can't quite convey how incredibly stressful that experience was, but thanks to Keenan, I had a great time. After talking with Keenan, award-winning journalist, author, and gender social policy expert Liz Plank joins me to help answer your questions. And please don't forget I want to hear from you. Visit unqualified.com and send us your questions, your answers, and your stories. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Here's
1: Kenan. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. What's hey. up? How are you?
0: I'm great. I'm so happy to be talking to you. How are you?
1: Oh my God, I'm good. I'm happy to talk to you too. Been a long time.
0: I know. Thank you for doing this.
1: No, my pleasure.
0: Keenan, congratulations.
1: Oh, man, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah.
0: How do you feel about the whole thing? Are you bummed that it might be not like a full gala ceremony? I don't even know how it's going to work.
1: I don't know if I can really be bummed about anything. I just feel blessed to be alive, you know? Like these times are so crazy and so intense on so many different fronts and levels that I'm just trying to focus on keeping the family safe and making sure I can continue to provide in a healthy way. But at the same time, try to fight the good fight, you know, as much as I can do from here. So,
0: Keenan, you won an Emmy, was it two years? Ago?
1: Yeah, we won with Chris. Me and Chris Red won our Emmys together because of that comeback Barack song. It's incredible.
0: It was awesome. Yeah. It's a great sketch. Don't you think that if you had a home invader, you could use that Emmy as a
1: full weapon? I could, but it's in New York and I'm in Florida. You don't travel with it. No. That would be kind of the best if you did though. I mean I did on the trip home. I guess that's the thing you do is you travel with it out of the case home. That's like the tradition or whatever. So I did that and I was representing it. But yeah, that thing's got like pretty pokey angel wings. So you could like really put some eyes out or like straight to the throat it. Game of Thrones it up through Uh the (laughs) What's going on with you guys over there? What was your nominations? I'm sorry, I didn't read Oh,
0: no, no, no. I don't think we got any this year.
1: That's a robbery. I mean, I guess (laughs) you guys are piling up at this point, so.
0: I view it as totally lemonade because I'm like an award virgin. Mm -hmm. The one award I have is my High Times Stoney Award for Best Actress, Unbelievable.
1: (laughs) Which I'm super
0: proud of. It's a bong. Right. But I think I would be happy, of course, to be nominated, I guess. But I think, you know, like... In trying to suppress any, like, hope, I would want to put it out of my mind, and I think it would be really difficult to have, like, especially those first few weeks when you have, like, your old team and your friends and everybody. Like, you can't imagine not being emotionally invested after a couple of months of hearing like, the lead-up, at some point it would be like, fuck, I guess I do want to win this shit, and I probably won't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, you'd be lying to yourself if you tried to act like, oh, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's a huge deal. But if you're smart, you take the win at the nomination, basically, and leave it there. You know what I'm saying? And then whatever else comes, comes, I guess.
0: Yeah, but and I do think there's all that dress stress for, like, women.
1: Oh, man there's dress stress for dudes you know it's like every single time you think you would have like a suit ready or something like that but it's like nope new event new fucking procedure basically so like all right let's find what style tux is in and hasn't been done yet and blah 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 down to the shoes inside. It's it's a whole thing for events you know like when it's a you know a tux a black tie type of thing it's it's a dressy stress for everybody. And
0: the evil part, too, that I didn't know about is for ladies, certain designers won't dress you, you know?
1: Oh, I can't even imagine the stress for, for ladies. It's got to be insane. And and why is that? You know what I mean? Like, what do you mean you don't design for certain people? That, that's what you do. Yeah. You design clothes for people.
0: <laughs> so, Keenan, I want to, of course, talk to you about my experience with you on Saturday Night Live.
1: I was the best. It was so much fun. Like, you know, first I was already a huge fan. I just thought you were so funny and you were already just baptized in Black culture through the wands like that. You know what I mean? But the way you played your character was just like very specific and different. And I was like, oh, she's special. You know what I mean? She's like perfect for this, the way she's doing it. Thanks. Because then, you know, a lot of people can do Sketch and do like you know exaggerated you know kind of performances or whatever, and but stuff like nobody that. can but do
0: stupidity like this. Nope, one.
1: <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just straightforward, just like maybe it wasn't an act. <laughs> it, was, it was like it really amazing. So I think yeah, that, I was ex- excited when you were when you were hosting.
0: Oh, I think it definitely took at least ten years off my life, and I imagine that most hosts feel that way Mm -hmm. I mean you are like in the deep end immediately oh yeah and like sitting in Marcy's office trying to read like 50 sketches it was
1: Marcy's office it's funny
0: yeah I was just like in that room alone and then the week kind of barrels by but in a totally confusing way just trying (laughs) to understand the mechanics and being in Lauren's office and like that first pitch meeting when everybody sits on the ground and they're telling you crazy ass ideas like there was a frog in a pool and right and you're like am I actually supposed to be giving input I have no idea
1: it's better if you don't (laughs) (laughs) we're just trying to push through and you know those little you know subtle inside things that you know everybody knows about the show you gotta like Hear the stories or else you won't know, cause yeah, it's a whirlwind, man. Everybody's just trying to get through it.
0: Who do you miss cast wise? You've been now will this upcoming season be your seventeenth?
1: This will be 18, but I miss them all, man. Like I I'm the guy that gets along with everybody, you know, and I usually tend to have a a good relationship with everybody. So, you know, I kind of miss everybody that wasn't there because I see the difference in their faces when they come back around. Like it's different for like Jimmy and you know Tina and Maya and, and Rachel and Amy and and Seth and people that like come around often. You know what I mean? Because they don't feel like, oh man, you know I, I really miss this place. I never get to. You know they don't have that bummer feeling on their face. But for everybody else that comes like really sporadically, you can just you see it, and then I start to feel it. You know, like I really miss the times of just being reckless and you know working to whenever or just being up to whenever and just like hanging out in a group of people or just hitting up the city and stuff like that so there's a, a, a giant bunch of them you know that i miss you know whatever goodness that they threw my way basically a lot of them you know were very kind people most of all i don't really know any assholes since I've been there.
0: I don't know if Lauren lets you be an asshole, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, everybody's so humble to be on the show, you know what I mean? And everybody's a fan of the show and a fan of the people that have done it. So,
0: when I hosted, I felt like in hindsight, we had a lot of sketches together. I mean, I think what, maybe you do five that make it on air, maybe four. I can't quite remember, but I think that my favorite sketch was All the boat,
1: right. of course. It was the best. And that was the best.
0: It's such a great sketch. Did you write that?
1: That was Seth Myers. So shout out to Seth. That was incredible. Um, and he was, you know
0: I wanna just give... writing
1: and tuning basically to the different songs as I practiced what was in and out of my range, basically.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I was just reading about how <laughs> Lauren knows he can like always cut to you. If you're in a sketch, mm-hmm. like you can be the channel, mm-hmm. the the audiences can be like, Oh yeah, this is crazy because you're reacting and yes. with the acknowledgement.
1: Yeah, it's like holding up the laugh here poster, basically. <laughs> like, this is where you need to be laughing at what just happened, basically. <laughs> it's the best.
0: What do you think makes a great cast member personnel?
1: Starts with dedication, man, you know, because it's hours and hours and years and years out of your life. So if you're not dedicated to that, you're going to be fighting against it and you're going to be miserable, basically, because... There's no getting around that, number one. So if you're trying to butt heads with like, oh, I want to have a life or I want to do this or I want to do that, and you're not willing to just juggle the show must go on aspect of it all, it's going to be hard.
2: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me
1: in a given month over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today for you
0: because I think what you bring is that you're a really strong actor and so maybe one might think that a incredible stand-up would translate very easily into a great cast member Mm -hmm. because even like from my perspective doing the podcast stand-ups tend to be one way young actors and you know what i mean Mm -hmm. or like a writer there tends to be almost different levels of guardedness Mm -hmm. so anyway i was thinking about a great cast member for snl and how specific to me it's a little undefinable I wonder if it's like kind of openness of spirit a bit, you know, like someone like you or Kate McKinnon. Well, everybody, but the embracing of like being in the sketch, but also seeming to really enjoy the moment as well and being generous, I guess, like all that whole combination. Oh, yeah. I imagine the audition process, which I know everybody talks a lot about because it just seems incredibly intense, but Lauren, being able to identify those other qualities that it might not be the most hysterical stand up or mm-hmm. or like what makes a good host. I mean, I'm just, those are two very different things,
1: yeah. I mean, but I think the main thing that you're saying is like the embrace of it all. You know what I mean? Like the whole gambit of embracing, which means, Being free to play whatever character is given to you and perform the service of the writing because that's basically what we're there to do. Whether you wrote it or somebody else wrote it, like you're servicing that process basically. So if you can remove yourself from that and give yourself to the service of it all, I think that's what makes any great cast member, great host, you know, any of that. As far as like auditioning and if Lauren can see that, I think. He can tell who's a good performer, regardless of material. You know, it it would help if your material gets laughs because nobody's trying to like, you know, watch somebody do a great impression that gets no laughs. That doesn't help the situation. It's just like, oh, that's an impressionist type of person, but they don't have like a comedy maturity that's ready for the show type of thing. I definitely was horribly immature in my audition because I had to do stand up. Because, like, I guess the majority of, you know, Black performers at the time, especially males, were, you know, coming from the stand-up world, basically. There were a few that came from improv houses, but all I know is everybody had to do stand-up at the comedy club first, and then we got to the studio. And that's when I felt comfortable, because I was in front of the camera, and I was just free to be a little kid, you know, playing with voices and sketches and making no sense. Didn't work well at the comedy club, because it's a false reality. You know what I mean? Like you have to engage the people sitting in front of you. You can't just be up there just in your own mind, making people watch you. That's ridiculous. Like, I didn't know that, but you know, I learned that the hard way, but the callback was at the studio and I felt better. But then a week went by and I didn't hear anything. And they were like, we want you to audition again, but this time at the laugh factory. So it was like back to stand up again. I was fucking terrified And I was just, yeah, basically just doing sketches and voices and shit. And I guess they could see that that could work there. So they gave me a shot along with JB Smooth and Finesse Mitchell. And they were both, you know, very straightforward standups or whatever. But their experience there was much more difficult because I do come from theater and performing and stuff like that. So I'm used to like ensemble mentality and, you know, I'm, I'm just ready to like, especially when somebody gives you like a, an update feature on like Gary Coleman. It's not like I have a Gary Coleman impression, but I can dress and say these words, you know what I'm saying? And like, that's what, you know, really works there, I guess. Yeah. And it's harder for stand ups because it's an individual driven kind of craft, basically. So it's hard for them to make that adjustment, especially if they're getting to a place kind of in the middle of their lives, like after 30 or whatever, you know what I'm saying? They've just been... In that mode to make themselves famous enough to audition for us. And that was hard to switch and be like, okay, give focus to everyone except yourself.
0: I think that, Keenan, it goes back to you being a great actor, too, that there's the idea of sincerity of character. Mm,
1: thank you. You keep saying great actor. I, I really appreciate it's it. It's
0: true. Keenan, you approach each character with a lot of sincerity, which makes us believe it. And even mm. if you're being, you know, uh, somebody atrocious, or somebody you usually don't. I don't think you play a lot of atrocious people. Your characters are pretty charming. There's only
1: been two. Who? <clears throat>
0: which ones? R. Kelly
1: and OJ. Oh, yeah. they're, they're like, they like walk those lines, those two. <laughs> but
0: you still made them lovable.
1: <laughs> yeah, crazy. I would say that's my gift. I can make monsters humane for but a moment.
0: David Zucker used to talk about like not winking at the audience, mm-hmm. which involves like i mean it sounds lofty but an idea of kind of self-sacrifice like Mm -hmm. when i play really stupid characters the idea of like okay there's a high likelihood that people are going to think i'm a fucking dingbat
1: (laughs) 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 yeah i mean but it's a like you said it's a sincerity in that character you know what i mean it's like you never break out of that like whatever spacey type of you know performance it seems like it's you know going to be in that character you don't break out of that you know what i'm saying you you, you're that in that in those in those moments and then we get to know you in real life and it's like no she's a you know a mature woman who can perform but you know what i'm saying it's like it's cool to see your committedness even to that it's real, and it it resonates with people. It, it really resonated with me.
0: Thanks. There's also like all the technical things that with each different format, whether it's like multicam, single camera, whatever. But with SNL in that boat sketch, you told me to not look you in the eyes to read the cue cards. Mm. We were sitting, you know, across from each other, and of course, I kept wanting mm. to, you know, like we were doing a scene. And I remember you told me that I just need to read the cue cards. I didn't quite realize that it wouldn't look odd, Mm -hmm. you know, and that it's very necessary. And that because everyone is doing it, it's important that you do it as well.
1: (laughs) It really is. But I mean, it's hard to sell that it it doesn't look weird because sometimes it is a little off and it's like, you got to really kind of be looking at the shot and trying to tell if the eye line is, you know, right on or if it's too tall, too low or whatever, But that depends on the engagement of the host and how much they're able to kind of engage in the moment without being freaked out by the whole overall, you know, craziness of the week. But you did a great job. And that's, you know, why they tell people that, because everything changes at the last minute. And, you know, you just don't want any surprises, you know, just to be lost for the sake of two wonderful actors engaging with each other. You know what I mean? That's always cute. Like, Lauren is quick to always shit on stuff like that. He's like, yeah, that's great. You did a nice performance, but if you don't get it right, we're <laughs> fucked. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Because it's it's live and it's like, there's no get backs and stuff like that. And like I said, we're to service the brilliance of these writers. You know, Seth is obviously one of the, you know, most brilliant writers that have ever come through our generation, basically, and, you know, any other generation because he's just manic about his writing like that and it was just very humbling for him to like turn his attention towards me at any moment you know what I mean so I always wanted to like make sure I did my part to make it not hiccup in any sort of way so I'm like let me take any kind of distraction that I am out of it and just make sure that you're comfortable you know what I mean and then we can kind of do this dance basically for the audience without either like Kind of insulting the acting ethic of two actors actually looking at each other and stuff like that because we are thespianish and that is the kind of respect that you give to one another is to like actually engage and listen and respond and like that's what acting is basically is being involved with each other but at the same time there's this other hurdle to get across which is trying to get this comedy off and comedy is very fragile because any kind of stutter or hiccup takes the audience out of it and then you lose your chance at nailing whatever reaction you were fishing for so that's the math of that (laughs) it is
0: math you're right and i I learned a lot more of that doing a multi-cam Mm -hmm. you know being on mom it is so much more technical
1: you gotta love those short weeks though man oh god yeah been sweet what season are y'all on
0: we're about to start eight,
1: if it starts. Ooh. I know.
0: And you have a show. Wait, well, Keenan? what's going on with your
1: show? Everything is on pause. It's called Keenan. We're just waiting to hear. We were going to try to start up and do a back and forth type thing, but it didn't really work out as far as everyone's comfortability for me to bounce back and forth between two environments right now, work environments, that is. So I think I'm going to start with SNL and focus on that until after the elections and then start shooting my show in some sort of fashion.
0: Can I ask you a series of live questions?
1: Yeah, please. Yeah, hell yeah. I love these.
0: All right, all right. What's your favorite ice cream flavor?
1: I'm going just base vanilla because you can always build from there. You can add whatever else. Yeah, We go Blue Bell, vanilla ice cream, and from there I can do whatever. Yeah.
0: Good base. All right. What's your favorite toy as a child?
1: My big wheel was a big deal. I remember that. Do you know what big wheels are? Yeah,
0: I had an Incredible yeah. Hulk one.
1: I loved it. Come on. Freedom. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? I'm out <laughs> on my plastic tires. <laughs> totally. Peace.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, what did you want to be growing up? I mean, I guess you started really young.
1: I did. I was pretty obsessed with television, so I, I was drawn to it. I wanted to do something in it. I didn't know if I'd ever have the opportunity to actually get in front of a camera or something, but I wanted in that box some kind of way i didn't really know the business behind it all because you atlanta is so far away from la you don't know anything about catering or grips or any other department and stuff like that and all the people behind it i just knew i wanted involved in some sort of way so i didn't you know know what that was but really it started with like the prices right and double dare and just wanting to be on those some kind of way
0: Keenan, I, I have to tell you, I'm not quite sure I know exactly what a grip is to this day.
1: You do they're the bigger versions of the crew members. Just remember that. They're usually the bigger guys.
0: <laughs> they're a little grumpy, those guys. Yeah, they're quiet,
1: <laughs> they're big, and yeah, they're very friendly monsters. But yeah, you don't want to mess with those guys. Even the grip gals. Yeah. Not to be played with. <laughs> <laughs> Keenan, what was your first boss like? First boss, I can remember, was on this commercial. And I guess it was the director because I was the only person I was really engaging with and slightly demanding. It was a commercial (laughs) for a fried chicken restaurant. (laughs) And uh, I was supposed to be fishing with, you know, my fake granddad. And uh, my line was, Grandpa, the the fish ain't biting today. And then he hands me a piece of chicken. and I was supposed to take a big bite of chicken and say, mm, I like this kind of biting. <laughs> so he just kept telling me to take a bigger bite of chicken. Like, just take a bigger bite. That, and that, that was great, man. But hey, next time, take, take it like a big bite of chicken. I was like, all right, man, I'm a fucking, I'm biting it. <laughs> you know, like, it's just ridiculously racist, number one. But also, <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm taking a good size bite of chicken that I can do. I was like 10 years old. I remember that, though.
0: I was thinking how I remember very distinctly, like, those lines from those first few jobs oh yeah I did an ice cream commercial and I was hired because I had a really round face so it looked like I was kind of chunky and uh my mom yeah my mom off camera was like she her line was Amy are you eating ice cream and I said not anymore and ninth grade (laughs) god like that freshman year of high school was so
1: fucking brutal not anymore anymore. down the hallway Oh my God, not anymore.
0: Yeah, I was such a late bloomer too. So as a freshman in high school, I looked like I was like nine years old.
1: Oh my God, they were on you.
0: Oh man. Hey Anna, you still pooping?
1: Not Not anymore. anymore. Oh God, I just want to go to class. Kids are horrible.
0: They were awful. Um, (laughs) Who has influenced your career the most?
1: Lots of people. I would say the biggest influence, I guess, the voice in the back of my head when I want to start just being reckless or showing out or feeling like I want to strut my stuff a little bit or something is always my mom, like treat people like you want to be treated and blah, blah, blah. And then everything else kind of spills from that. But like mentor wise, I have a few people like, Brian Robbins, who's, you know, used to produce the, all that show. And he's like the head of Nickelodeon now. His big claim to fame was he was on Head of the Class <laughs> with Robin Gibbons yeah. and Dan. Um, but yeah, Brian was a, was a big mentor. Lauren, obviously, is an incredible mentor. My manager, Goldman, my one and only manager, you know, and my lawyers, my one and only lawyers. And, you know, my accountant person. So just like my team, I guess, are really big guidance factors for her. But my behavior, of course, is always my mom.
0: Keenan, so between the ages of 8 and 10, what were your
1: favorite TV shows? It was Price is Right, Dukes of Hazard*. like I guess the whole 80s gambit. So when I was 8, what was that, 86? So whatever was out around then, it was like pretty young So I feel like Dukes of Hazard* was around, Knight Rider-ish, 18, that kind of stuff. Yeah. A lot of Aaron Spelling programming.
0: Who was your favorite character on the Eighteen?
1: team? Always BA Barakas, man. That dude, the Mohawk, Mr. T. Come on. He's the man. All that all that jewelry? Incredible. I
0: liked the bomb dude. What was his name?
1: Was that Murdoch? Yeah. Yeah, Murdoch.
0: I found him sexy. Weirdly sexy at like age 11. That's
1: your thing. You like quirk. I guess I, I wanted
0: to learn how to blow
1: shit up. <laughs> that's right they always needed murdoch even though he seemed crazy he would always come through whenever they all got locked up and save the day basically because he was the one guy off on some adventure that they weren't all you know meandering and then falling into the same trap you know what i mean and then murdoch would come back and be like hey where'd you guys go and then they were like we got fucking locked up where you were gone and oh dude, well here's a key right here <laughs>
0: You got it down. You got all the plots
1: down. Come on.
0: Oh, okay. What's the best or worst advice you've been given or both?
1: I mean, best advice starting out, I guess, was not to listen to the word no. And this isn't like a behavior thing. This is just from auditions and stuff like that. Even in talking to your agents about what they kind of should be looking for you type stuff. You know what I mean? It was like I never wanted to be put into any specific kind of category, you know what I mean? I was always like, well, whatever roles are out there that are pivotal or whatever that can boost us, we should be paying attention to not just whatever's available for an African American or an African American in his twenties or in his teenage years or whatever, or chunkier African American or any of that. You know what I mean? It was just like good roles and good projects that are going to project my career forward just as an actor, period. Basically. And uh, the worst advice I got, it, I don't know. I probably didn't really listen to it, whatever it was.
0: <laughs> Keenan, I read that you, like at one point, maybe in 2014, you decided to not play any more black women on SNL until they hired more. I think that's mm-hmm. remarkable.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was beyond time. And it started to become a pattern of... Throw me in a dress and I will get a laugh as opposed to it being really motivated by stuff. So that's kind of weird.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing.
1: I came
0: from. There is something really archaic about the idea. Like, I was watching some Real Housewives thing, and uh, you know, these men dressed up as women for some Halloween party, and they just get the biggest kick out of it.
1: Yeah. Ooh, they just think do, it's do,
0: hysterical. Do, do, do. Totally. totally. <laughs> uh, like. <laughs>
1: That just shows you the sickness of a man's mind. Whenever they get such a kick out of pretending to be a woman, it seems like those are the most pent-up dudes that get zero action. You know what I mean? Like, the more you're around ladies and you really want to perform how they really are, it's never like that. No. But these guys that are, like, constantly, like, reaching across the bar, trying to get to that one lady that just constantly rejecting them or whatever they really start acting like that you're <laughs> so right or they completely ignore them and they're kind of just vikings in their in their life and world you know what i mean and they're very just i don't know piggish <laughs> little, little piggies
0: i love that vikings in your own world keenan i love that
1: yeah because there's always some super bearded dude and then he mm-hmm. like puts on a dress and then he really starts just putting on the show and i'm like okay what cartoon person are you emulating right now? <laughs>
0: totally. All right. So what's your favorite rainy day movie? Whew.
1: I mean, I put Groundhog Day on at any moment. just because reputation is one of my favorite things. And that movie is a perfect encapsulation of that. Also, it's just brilliantly written. And Harold Ramis is just incredibly talented. He's like, Writer-wise, I guess what John Hughes, director-wise, was for me growing up. Just very pure, very funny, very straightforward, clean, awesome shit.
0: The structure of that movie is
1: done so well. It's perfect. And
0: it's hard to find comedies that have, like, a pretty tight structure.
1: Perfect. It's this big concepts. Yeah. It's hard to do... A lot of big concepts. You know, there's really one God concept and stuff like that. So whenever they touch on it, they have to do it the right way. Like Bruce Almighty and Groundhog Day, too. Just having a God complex of what if I got all these powers and stuff like that. So I, I don't know, man. I just, I really dug that movie. Chicago dudes.
0: And the tension, like, sustains itself. You know, a lot of times in, like, the third act of a comedy when they're trying to wrap everything up. And it's, it's oh, they yeah. can get kind of tedious and... They had the big moment attention, but then like with Groundhog Day, they kept up the the she tension got the dark. whole yeah. They yeah. were
1: as dark as possible. He started killing himself. You know what I mean? Like for real, for real.
0: Yeah, like, and
1: you're then right. Embraced. Okay, well I can't go that route, and it fucking took a, a turn back towards like enjoyment and light and fun and shit like that. That's really hard to do. Like you can lose an audience doing stand up with one misreference like i was listening to a comic and she made a reference to like like she said like a fat something before she described the girl or something but like that word fat threw the audience off so hard they were quiet for like the next 5 minutes and then you watch her running through her spiel trying to get them back on board with the fact that she's delivering funny things. (laughs) Man, it is gnarly. Did she feel it? Oh, yeah. You could tell because she started speaking a lot faster. You know what I mean? It was like, okay, let me get to this point, let me get to that point because I know these points lead to, hopefully, you reacting back to funny things or whatever. But, man, they were so thrown off.
0: That's interesting, though, and it's very true. Like, I think that a lot of my comedy is based in... (laughs) self-humiliation. And while I think that I can be pretty cynical and dark, I'm too self-obsessed to not come attempt to come from a place of kindness, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting when you talk about that woman in comics in general, too. I think maybe men can get away with it a little bit more. I'm not sure. But once you, I guess, lose the audience out of if they don't fundamentally like you as a person, how do you get them back? I mean, you do that better than anybody, though.
1: Yeah, but I usually call it out. You know what I mean? Like, if there's something that happened, and I call what? it out in different ways. It's usually in a laugh because I'm, like, laughing at, oh, holy shit, that, that whole shit just flopped on the floor, basically. Like, that's hilarious to me. So I have to try to show them that that was non-intentional, but we can move on type thing.
0: What I wanted to say is you have, like, an openness of spirit you know, not knowing you all that well, Mm -hmm. but watching you perform. So I don't think you ever turn and you never turn an audience. At least I've never seen it. And I don't think it's possible.
1: Yeah, I feel you. Like, I definitely try not to come from a place of malice ever. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, the audience can recognize that. And, you know, we can all be happy together. That's all I hear is like, man, as soon as you step on the screen, I get happy and stuff like that, just because I know it's going to be joyful, and blah, blah, blah. But it's one of my main beliefs of that's what comedy is supposed to be. You know what I mean? Like there's fishing to be done in darker areas and stuff like that, but I never want to come from a place of attacking someone necessarily. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. something different between pointing out something that's public knowledge that's ridiculous, but attacking or you know just like name calling or you know certain adjectives and things like that you have to i think be very careful with you know because that's all karma things you know what i mean and you know those kind of things are going to like recirculate in different forms like i don't know i'm a big believer in all that kind of energy circulation type stuff but yeah man like my biggest thing is when a joke does not land with an audience that could be probably the more funnier thing it's you know terrifying because it's silent when it should be a laugh and i usually react with a laugh because it's like laughing out of nervousness or laughing at the fact that i think it's funny that that joke didn't work like all right we'll be in the next show basically so no worries
0: (laughs) (laughs) i get a kick out of the cut for time sketches that you know you can Mm -hmm. get on on YouTube. I would say 70% of the time they tend to be slightly more bizarre yeah. than what's in the show, which is probably mm-hmm. why I love them, but maybe that's also why it maybe didn't work at dress or something. What's your theory?
1: A lot of the time it depends on the audience or how green the people around the sketch are, whether it's green performers in it or green writers handling it. There's like different trust things or whatever blah blah blah. Yeah. So, also, pent up things. You know, they might owe someone else an opportunity that their thing got cut a couple of weeks ago or whatever. And it's like they have something that's really could be a good moment for them. You know what I mean? For this week, and we could try anything. There's all kind of you know back kind of tax type stuff too. So
0: Keenan, for our listeners that maybe don't know, and you can inform me as well. So Saturday night around what six? Maybe there's the dress rehearsal.
1: Eight. eight but yeah you start feeling it at six Oh god for sure <laughs> <Peanut>. <laughs> yeah you're feeling it because it's like we're rehearsing and taking a meal break so it's like all right so what's happening and there's a show happening when and where's everybody going and what time do i have to be back like is there a music with there's so much happening by saturday it's crazy
0: oh my god it's
1: gut-wrenching
0: fuck it is
1: Especially for our generation, I think, because we're aware of how large the moment is. And we're aware of what that means to be live, you know what I mean? And like also live to the entire East Coast, Midwest or whatever. And then the West Coast gets later. But really, it feels like you're going out to the entire world. Like you think you're just in the living room of every single person in the world. Because that's the kind of headlines that you read on Sunday. It's like the immediate turnover. Like, did right. you see this? Did you see that? Or whatever. Or this whole post did great. I give her, you know, B plus. Or she did terrible. She gets a C minus. That shit. It's like the very next day and we just finished partying at five in the morning. And like those stories are out by 11. So it's like no time in between to pat yourself on the back, basically. And like be like, oh, that was an awesome show because we, it's got to start over. It's a whirlwind. So yeah, dress rehearsal starts at 8, and it's a couple of hours, and there's a meeting in between where they pick what's going to make it, and then live time.
0: Is there a consistent difference between the dress rehearsal audience and the live audience? And is it frustrating if like the dress audience doesn't get something?
1: There is a difference. The dress rehearsal audience, I think, feels very lucky to be there, and the live audience can feel kind of privileged because... They're usually invited by someone that works there, basically. So they feel a little more inside and a little more hoity-toity. Like we're the real audience, and you know they're not as party, you know, driven like the fan type dumb that happens at dress rehearsal. So
0: that was my memory, but I have no idea if it was accurate or not. That the dress rehearsal was like the lit, yeah. But the audience felt like really wired.
1: It's like doing a show for like. A audience and then that audience's parents comes in and you have to do the show <laughs> for them It's crazy
0: when I hosted I had this feeling that you were very much my buddy
1: I'm so happy about that because that was me in my mind but you know I
0: totally felt like that you were like a safe space in a scary scary environment so thank you for that
1: glad oh of course that's kind of what I'm there I think to do now at this point I've been there for so long. Because it's kind of ridiculous. Like, if you look at it, it's an old-ass building. You know what I mean? They've done a billion shows. They're going to continue to do a billion shows. So it's just like, don't overly pressure yourself like this is the end-all, be-all. Even for the host, you know what I mean? Like, the host is at such a pinnacle moment. If the show goes bad, it's really on us. You know what I'm saying? Like, we failed them in the writing and the performing or whatever we came up with. It should never look bad on the host, ever, especially if you come to play.
0: That's a really generous philosophy. Okay, what is a trait you dislike in others?
1: A trait that I don't like in others, I guess, is, I mean, just sneakiness, dishonesty. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't don't like any kind of shady shit. There's no time for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, yo, wake up. Like, what are you afraid of? You know what I'm saying? Like, I would much more prefer you be an asshole to my face and have me find out these things later on down the road.
0: Totally. It's not only insulting to, like, one's own strength if they can't absorb, but I love how you said we don't have time for it because it is, like, just tell me what you need and what you want. I don't want to interpret all this the fucking mumbo-jumbo that you're circling around.
1: Yeah, all this, like shit you're projecting on me and these insecurities or whatever it is hoping this goes right or hope you respect my you know point of view none of that <laughs> you know what I'm saying it's like yo come on man speed this up <laughs>
0: all right what's a trait you dislike in yourself
1: I can talk myself out of the better things for me. So I'm always fighting myself. I mean, that's probably in a lot of people that are going through, you know, painful situations, like working out and shit. Like there's pain involved in that or exhaustion or discomfort. So the inner voice, you know, starts going crazy early, especially if I know I'm committed to doing something like that. It'll start as soon as I wake up. It's like, oh, well, you know, you can just... Go back to bed if you want. Or looking kind of windy out there. You sure you want to get on that bike today? You know what I mean, like all that kind of shit. So that's what I hate about my inner voice.
0: On what occasion do
1: you lie? At being a parent, it happens more often than you would like. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. It's like, oh, can we go to Chick Fil A? It's like, oh, they're closed. Like, I don't know. you're like, what? There's so many cars in the driveway just now. Yeah, I know, but someone just called me and said they were closed, so just go home. (laughs) But hopefully innocent things that don't really kind of butterfly effect out too far, I guess.
0: Yeah. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would it be?
1: Positano, man. I am obsessed with that little, just, I don't know, man. It's an insanely picturesque town but it's also like insta-famous and limoncello (laughs) comes from there so they have these lemons that are like this big and the whole town just smells of lemon because they make limoncello candles and it's just lemon everything and it's like one of my favorite scents also the cuisine yeah so good So, yeah. Yeah. And also, you can, like, go to any country for, like, 20 bucks once you're over there. You can, like, go to Europe on a flight for nothing, basically. So,
0: What has been the most stressful experience of your life?
1: SNL's audition, I would say. I would say auditioning for anything, basically, is always pretty stressful because you never get over the feeling of being judged. You know what I mean? Unless you're a person that's very comfortable walking around with no shirt on. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you probably still have certain insecurities about things, even if you're that person. But I don't know. It feels to me like that kind of confidence usually doesn't affect people when they're auditioning, because they're probably maybe auditioning for what they look like and stuff like that.
0: I was thinking about standing up on the SNL stage for the first time, you know, and especially, God, the intensity. I mean, you obviously, like, rehearse through the week or whatever, but... Standing behind that door while the band is playing.
1: It had to be so crazy.
0: For me, it was like, just don't open it. Just don't go out.
1: Yeah. How about we just don't do it? Yeah,
0: how about we... I can just turn around... <laughs>
1: Nope, no turning around.
0: And you stand, like, right at the edge of the stage.
1: Even on the second time, you felt like that? Yes. Crazy. Yeah. It's a big moment.
0: It is. It's crazy. And knowing, though, too, that, like, Lorne
1: is... He's out there somewhere. (laughs) The
0: lights are in your eyes. You're doing a monologue, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole thing had its very individual challenges, but the monologues are so, so difficult, don't you yeah. think? Like, it's a tricky way oh, to start yeah, off a, a show. Very. And it's like, am I me? It feels like being on a really intense version of a talk show where, I'm like, I'm trying to not do it as much anymore. Well, I'm not going on any talk (laughs) shows. But you know, like I would do a weird thing where I would play like this heightened character of myself that's like laughing too hard. And like
1: I had to learn that lesson because I would want to go on talk shows and be myself, and it would never work out well. It's always an extension of show business. You know what I mean? So there's. Some sort of a show that you got to put on, even though, you know, it's just Good Morning America or, you know, the Today Show. You know what I'm saying? You're supposed to just be yourself. No, you have the people's attention and they, they want to be entertained as opposed to just, you know, let's cut over to, to Larry and see what Larry's thinking. You know what I mean? And Larry's just hanging out. and It's like, all right, why are we watching this? If there isn't a show aspect to it all, I had to learn that the hard way.
0: Yeah, no, I think that, of course, there's an intimacy to what we do.
1: This is the only medium where you can really, truly be closest to yourself, I think. Completely. I have fucked up so many talk shows. (laughs) It's a freaky moment, you know, because the spotlight's on you, there's cameras, there's an audience, and then there's this host there that's, you know, in the middle of putting on show number whatever bajillion for them. And then you think you're there to kind of just, you know, answer a couple questions and, and keep it ki- and keep it cash. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's never the case. <laughs> they never want me to keep it cash.
0: Hey, Keenan, I can't thank you enough. Truly. I
1: thank you, man. And you have to return the favor and come on our pod.
0: I would love to. Thank
1: you. It's called You Already Know. It's a shameless plug, but I have to do it before we go.
0: I love it. Keenan. thanks again.
3: This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW.
2: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.
0: Hey, dear listeners, I would like to introduce author, journalist, and gender studies expert Liz Plank. You might know Liz from her work with Vox.com, her show Positive Spin with NBC News, or her book For the Love of Men, A New Vision for Mindful Masculinity. If you want more of Liz, check out her podcast, Heart Homework. Liz, thank you so much for doing this with us. I am so So excited to be here. Okay, let's call Veronica. Let's do it. I'm ready. Hello. Hi, Veronica. Hello. Hi, you're here with Liz Plank and myself. Thank you for calling in. Yes, thank you for having me. Will you tell us what's going
3: on? Yeah, my boyfriend and I have been together for about four years. It's actually a long distance relationship, but he recently bought us a house for me and my children and his children to move into. And he's amazing. He's the best man I've ever dated. He's kind and he's considerate and loving. And my kids adore him. But the problem that we're having is that It's really like our only problem, but it's a big one, is that we have different political views, which is fine. I have a lot of friends and coworkers and people that I respect that have different political views, but our discussions turn into debates that turn into full-blown arguments where we almost break up. So my question is, can you make a relationship work when you have different political views? So how far is your distance? An hour and a half. And we see each other probably every other week.
0: Okay, and so then with this house that he just bought, when are you guys moving in together?
3: Well, it's really whenever I pack up my stuff and move.
0: Wow, okay, okay.
3: I think my hesitation has been this issue.
2: What happens when you fight? Because a fight is never something that's neutral. It either brings you closer together because you learn more about each other, you're more vulnerable with each other, and you share things about each other, Or it brings you further apart. So, what does the repair look
3: like after a fight, or
2: is there no repair?
3: It depends. Mostly the only things that we argue about at the moment are politics. And so, it really depends on whatever political issue we're talking about. And I think in most situations, you try to avoid political talks. But when we're planning on moving in together and raising children together, I feel like these are. Things that are relevant to talk about. And so, depending on what we're talking about, sometimes there's repair, sometimes there's apologies for lost tempers, and sometimes there's an understanding and an acknowledgement of what the other point of view is. And sometimes it's just such a touchy subject and we've been so upset. And because we live separately, we can just say, I'll talk to you tomorrow. But that's not going to happen when we live together.
2: (laughs) And you're going to be in a house, by the way. Yeah. Yes that's what I'm worried about for you. It's not just moving in together. It's moving into a house that he is paying for. Right. That will certainly be even more difficult for you to, I think, maintain just independence and freedom in this relationship.
0: Veronica, I think that so many of us can completely relate to your experience right now, because a lot of us have Co workers or friends or family that believe in this very divisive time, opposite views than maybe what we have.
3: Well, yeah. And sometimes I get really discouraged because I feel like if the person that I know loves me and that I love, if we can't have a discussion where I can at least get him to understand or empathize with my point of view, like it's just really discouraging to me. Like, in a world sense, you know, like this is the person that I know loves me and he still Mm. digs his heels in. It's just like, I sometimes feel like he's not even validating my point of view.
0: Right, Sure, because that's how we've been trained to communicate in this era right now, in terms of how we talk about politics. It's hard to have a dialogue where you say, like, this is my emotional involvement with this political party because of this. And I hope you kind of understand that because everything is so loaded. That little
3: thing, everyday life. <laughs> like I mean, exactly. it comes up, like every day. It's kind of hard to avoid.
1: Oh.
2: And that's the thing to me that's really important here. So, you know, first of all, I think the personal is political and the political is personal. Right. I think, you know, we, I, we have to avoid politics as if politics was removed from relationships, but it's actually how we, you know, understand and experience politics is through relationships. And so I actually think it's almost impossible to actually divorce the two. And I would sort of ask you, you know, does he listen? to you? Does he try and understand you? Because it seems like he takes really good care of you and in so many different ways, he's been there for you. But why isn't he there for you when it comes to this?
3: You know, I can't answer that for him, but I feel like a lot of these political beliefs come down to like fundamental values, Yeah. you know? And I've told him, I was like, well, the fact that you believe that is an issue for me because this is a fundamental value of who I am. And Mm -hmm. I can't move on this issue. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like maybe I'm being not flexible enough, but those are things that I don't want to flex on.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I just think women, especially, I think we're like gaslit just our whole lives. Like from the moment we're like out of our mothers, like (laughs) out into the world, we are told, right, that us reacting to abuse is anger and that there's something wrong with the way that we say it, with the way that we state it, with the way that we feel, right? and so. I think, first of all, you're calling in with this question. I think that you already know what is true and you already know what you want to do. You're just looking for a reason to do it, even though it's going to be difficult. Wait, you really, Liz, you think? I think so. I think she knows. I don't know. And the thing is, maybe this is the right relationship, but you have to set your standards and communicate them and see if it can live up to them. But until you do that, And sort of chalk it up to, this is just a difference of political opinion. It's not. He's not listening to you. You want a partner that listens. He's not trying to understand you. You want a partner that understands you. And you want a partner that's emotionally mature enough to be able to have conversations with you. Whether it's about like a random domestic dispute or, you know, when it comes to really important values like empathy and how racism shows up in the world and the safety of your children. Those are a really big deal in a relationship. Yes, but
0: Liz, isn't there a way for a potentially great relationship with two people that have different backgrounds and opposing views politically? They can work. It's just incredibly difficult at this time. Veronica, it
3: sounds like you really love him. I love him. Yeah, I plan on having a life with him. Like I have three children and I was single for... Gosh, like a decade, because I would not introduce men to my children unless it was serious, and so my children never met anyone. <laughs> and he has met my children, and he has become a part of my life. And I wouldn't have done that if I didn't th- think the relationship was going to last.
0: Veronica, we gotta follow Michelle Obama. We gotta go high.
3: Yeah, <laughs> he has
2: to go high too. You both have to do it. Well, yeah, our problem it's it's both of your
0: problems, right? For sure. Is he as invested as you are to try and resolve this? He might not be, Liz, because there is a mentality. I know I've been with a couple of people like this. (laughs) The mentality of, I don't understand why you perceive yourself as a victim Mm -hmm. with your passionate views. It's like, things are not bad for you. What are you talking about? And I don't perceive myself as a victim. But I do believe in things that I feel very strongly about. And why won't you hear me on this? Right. And I do think that there is a way to have this life. And what sucks though, Veronica, I think <laughs> it's timing when you want to talk about important yeah. issues and patience, if you yeah. want this relationship, because it's almost like when these discussions get brought up, make sure... That you're not frustrated about some other minutiae in the day. Yeah. It should come from a place when you both are calm, you want to have a discussion about your fundamental beliefs, but it can't come from the minor frustrations of the day because that will only lead to... The minor bickering manifesting itself into like the bigger snowball. Right. And it sounds like you want to be in this relationship and that you love him. And that doesn't mean that your voice can't be heard at all. Fuck, it should be. And you guys have this looming moving in together that's coming up. And so, of course, the channeling of different anxiety will be projected, you know, sometimes through politics. And when really some of the other practical issues are like, well, what kid is going to get the better bedroom? Who is going to do like the laundry? Who hasn't been doing their homework? Like all the other things. And then it kind of can boil down easily into a sweet reduction of politics in America. Yeah. Because I think all of us are going through versions of this too, Veronica, and... That's why I'm really (laughs) grateful for your call, because I think for sure you're not alone.
3: Does that make any sense? It does. And it helps because, like, you're right, I think the timing of it makes a difference. And I think, you know, I might have just saw the news or read an article, or he has, and he'll make a comment about something, and then I'll make a comment. But it's typically at the end of the day when we do talk, and we're both frustrated. You know, politics are always in our lives, but it just seems like it's like daily, constantly Something and it's frustrating. And it's, I think, probably a lot of it also is my own frustrations with things that are going on. And probably a lot whenever I feel like I'm not heard from what he's saying or validated from my opinion, he just becomes, like, like I said, the full representation of everybody that feels that way.
0: How about as a practical advice experiment? Like next time you guys talk after work, if the timing is right. What if you said something along the lines of "God, I cannot wait to be in bed with you naked, watching oh, that yeah. stupid show"? You know, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, it puts the work on you, Veronica. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. but it might just work if happiness is the ultimate goal between you two.
3: Yeah,
0: it might be like starting off the conversation when you guys do have your, you know, routine talk. Assuming that it, like you said, maybe it's the end of the day, that it can. Start off from with a place of not sort of the daily burden, but of the future right. fantasy.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. And that's totally doable.
0: Oh, good. God, nobody ever says that, Veronica. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> but
0: most of us can be easily distracted, whether it's towards things that delight us or things that nurture our frustration with the current environment. And maybe if your communication, since you guys are communicating long distance, if you can set the tone of how you see your future, if you are excited to move into the house with him, then I, I would start not to say to avoid, I don't mean that, or certainly not abandon any of your political views, but if this is something you want Maybe trying to repattern how you guys and how and when you talk about things, maybe you can help guide him as he may be cemented as we all are to some degree in our views right now yeah. to be slightly more compassionate with what you've experienced yeah. which is the goal which you know we all need to strive for compassion yeah
2: and you guys. Have- right, I think is the most crucial, which is like, when you're in these arguments, is there one person trying to resolve them? Are you both being like, we're both on the team of like, let's not get into fights, right? Let's make this relationship work. Because I think when we're in relationships, and especially with these conversations, you just want to be right. But this is not, you know, a relationship, if you're just focused on being right, is probably not going to work out, you have to focus on listening and trying to understand. And so the Sort of reminding yourself of what the preferred outcome for the both of you is. So I remember you're both,
0: you know, you're on the same team here. Veronica, yeah. we've all been part of this hellacious environment for too long. You guys are missing each other. Yeah, That makes me really happy that um, <laughs> that yeah. you sound really giddy and happy to be with him. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that makes me really happy. Okay, Veronica, I have really high hopes for this. I really do. That makes me feel better. (laughs) Yeah, it's really nice, actually, at the end of the call to be like, Veronica's going to make this, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I
3: think she's got this. She's strong. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, he is actually really amazing. And he has been great about the new house. Like, he's letting me pick out all the furniture. He's letting me pick out what to paint. He's like, whatever, whatever you want, you tell me, we'll do it. And so he's like, this is your home too. He's like, do not refer to it as my house. This is our house. So he's been really great about mm-hmm. trying to welcome me. I've just been hesitant.
0: <laughs> I think that if we can sort of get through some of this with as much sort of love, and I know that sounds a little sunny right now, but with understanding as we can and you sound happy and I love it that you started like kind of giggling when you talked about him. (laughs) Then I think that you guys can, you know, change each other and grow together and understand each other. That's like the microcosm of what we all need right now. So Veronica, this is all on you. (laughs) (laughs) Change the world, Veronica.
2: (laughs) The fate of our nation is in your hands.
3: (laughs) One boyfriend at a time. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I think it's been helpful. Veronica, thank you. Thanks. Bye. Liz, thank you again. Thank
0: you, Anna.